The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours, like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Monday, January 17th, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, the thought leaders who inspired Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., plus his childhood name change, what to make of his legacy, and more. Also today, what caused the massive volcanic eruption in Tonga over the weekend? And gather up your silver bullets. It's a full wolf moon tonight. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Today is Martin Luther King Jr. Day here in the U.S., and in observance of the holiday, I thought I'd dig a little into just a few of Dr. King's influences, because I always find it fascinating who it was that influenced the thoughts and actions of great movers and shakers. Now, while Dr. King would go on to bristle a bit at his namesake due to the 15th century theologian's fairly bigoted, anti-Semitic, and fairly elitist attitudes, the choice of name was an important one to his father, Martin Luther King Sr. And I do mean choice. Dr. King's dad, Martin Luther King Sr., was originally named Michael King, and so was Dr. King. King Sr., also a pastor, changed both of their names from Michael to Martin Luther after a particularly powerful trip to Germany in 1934, when King Jr. was already five years old. Quoting a 2019 article in the Washington Post, King Sr. arrived in Berlin a year after Adolf Hitler became chancellor. During his trip, the senior king toured the country where, in 1517, the German monk and theologian Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Castle Church, challenging the Catholic Church. The act would lead to the Protestant Reformation, the revolution that would split Western Christianity. All around him in Berlin, King Sr. was seeing the rise of Nazi Germany. The Baptist Alliance responded to the hatred with a resolution deploring, quote, all racial animosity and every form of oppression or unfair discrimination toward the Jews, toward colored people, or toward subject races in any part of the world, end quote. And continuing from the Washington Post, when the senior king returned home in August 1934, he was a different man, said Claiborne Carson, director of the King Institute. It was sometime in this year that he changed his name and changed his son's name, too. End quote. Though Carson adds that King Sr. himself said he made the change because he had uncles named Martin and Luther and his father wanted the name to be changed— But, quoting Carson, it seems likely he was affected by the trip to Berlin because that would have brought him in the land of Martin Luther. I think the obvious reason is Martin Luther sounded more distinguished than Mike King, end quote. 
And though, as I said, Dr. King Jr. didn't always love the comparisons to his namesake, Taylor Branch, author of Parting the Waters, America in the King Years, notes that he did at least once publicly comment, after the Montgomery bus boycott, that he had perhaps earned his name. But as far as more direct influences, the Morehouse College Martin Luther King Jr. collection has over a thousand books from Dr. King's personal collection, many of them including his handwritten notes. And one of the people who supplied him with a number of works that would end up being influential to his philosophy was his wife, Coretta Scott King, who had done a ton of work of her own before meeting Dr. King and would influence his politics right from the beginning. Quoting a separate Washington Post article from this morning, Coretta Scott grew up in Jim Crow era Alabama and attended one of the few high schools that accepted black students. While there, she first met the black pacifist and civil rights activist Bayard Rustin, who lectured the students about Gandhi and the principles of nonviolence. Her early introduction to pacifist politics was expanded when Scott attended the liberal Antioch College in 1946, where she again encountered Rustin. At Antioch, she also became active in the college NAACP chapter, and in 1948, she campaigned for Henry Wallace, the Progressive Party's candidate for president. Wallace's party called for an end to segregation, full voting rights for African Americans, and national health insurance. Musically gifted as a singer and violinist, Scott attended the New England Conservatory of Music in Boston, where she met King, who was a seminary student at nearby Boston University. In 1951, she gave King a book, Edward Bellamy's best-selling 1888 utopian novel, Looking Backward. Bellamy's work was a vision of a socialist utopia set in the year 2000, in which a nonviolent revolution in the United States had produced an egalitarian society where industry was nationalized and everyone ate in communal dining rooms, shopped in consumer cooperatives, and retired at age 45. Because his utopia did not require violent revolution, but rather peaceful if swift evolution, it was particularly popular among pacifists, end quote. A letter Dr. King wrote to Coretta Scott in response to the gift of Bellamy's book shows some of his early thinking on a utopian socialist vision of the future and how that would go on to influence both his and Scott's work. The two also shared inspiration in Gandhi, whom they visited in India in 1959, and said that Dr. King always carried with him a piece of paper that said, Gandhi speaks for us. Prior to meeting Coretta Scott, Dr. King's exposure to concepts of nonviolent resistance began with reading Henry David Thoreau in college. In his autobiography, Dr. King wrote, quote, Here in this courageous New Englander's refusal to pay his taxes and his choice of jail rather than support a war that would spread slavery's territory into Mexico, I made my first contact with the theory of nonviolent resistance. Fascinated by the idea of refusing to cooperate with an evil system, I was so deeply moved that I reread the work several times. I became convinced that non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as is cooperation with good. End quote. But make no mistake that non-cooperation with an evil system was anything but passive. Dr. King was an active radical who was incredibly disliked by white people in his own time, coming in second as the person Americans had the least respect for in a 1964 Gallup poll, and not just being on the FBI watch list, but facing blackmail attempts by the agency. You can learn more about that in the Sam Pollard documentary MLK FBI. As Michael Harriet wrote today in The Guardian, one does not have to reach back into the historical archives to explain why King was so despised. 
The sentiments that made him a villain are still prevalent in America today. When he was alive, King was a walking, talking example of everything this country despises about the quest for black liberation. He railed against police brutality. He reminded the country of its racist past. He scolded the powers that be for income inequality and systemic racism. Not only did he condemn the openly racist opponents of equality, he reminded the legions of whites who were willing to sit idly by while their fellow countrymen were oppressed that they were also oppressors. King readily admitted that it was his goal to make white people uncomfortable. Just before he condemned white moderates in a letter from Birmingham jail, he revealed that his goal was to create the kind of tension in society that will help men to rise from the dark depths of prejudice and racism. He went on to explain that nonviolent direct action, King's primary strategy to affect progress, was an attempt to induce the white community to a point where marginalized people's desperate cries could no longer be ignored. End quote. And no matter how many sterilized quotes you see on social media today, remember that even this national holiday hasn't always been accepted. Though it was signed into law by President Reagan in 1983, years after labor unions and activists had first started proposing the idea, several states refused to make it a state holiday. South Carolina didn't make it a holiday until the year 2000. Arizona might have done the same if they hadn't gotten punished for not making it a state holiday by the NFL. After the bill to make it a holiday failed to pass the Arizona legislature, the NFL moved the 1993 Super Bowl out of the state. And in response, Arizona finally passed the bill in 92. But the fact that it took economic punishment and ego bruising by the NFL to get there says a lot. Of course, in the years that followed, the majority of Americans got on board with at least their idea of Martin Luther King Jr.'s legacy. And if you're interested in exploring this discrepancy between the real man, the legacy, and the realities left in that wake, there's a new documentary out today from Comcast called Avenues of Dreams, Reclaiming MLK Boulevards. And it looks at some of the over 900 streets in the U.S. that are named after Dr. King and how many of the neighborhoods those streets are in have continued to struggle against systemic forces and how those communities are working together to restore Dr. King's vision and legacy. And speaking of communities working together, a reminder that today is also the Martin Luther King Day of Service, as first established in 1994, proposed by Representative John Lewis. It's a day to volunteer in your community and take action in honor of Dr. King. Formally, it's coordinated by AmeriCorps, so if you're listening early enough in the day, there's a link in the show notes to find volunteer opportunities near you on their site. But mostly, I encourage you to consider giving back to your community in some way whenever it is that you're listening to this. Dr. King was a prolific reader and writer, a deep thinker, but he was also a doer, which is what's reflected in this day of service. Echoing her grandfather, who also found himself with a namesake that at times felt intimidating, Dr. King's granddaughter, Yolanda Renee King, spoke recently to young people in particular about the need to get involved. Ahead of giving a talk tomorrow at the Washington National Cathedral, she told NBC News, quote, When you realize the significance of what comes with that name, it can be a lot of pressure. But I'm also lucky enough to have parents who have told me, you don't have to be like your grandfather. You don't have to be like your grandmother. They never really forced me to do activism. This has been a decision of my own. You have to go out and support those movements. Although you may not be old enough to vote, you are the future. You and your decisions determine the future of the world. End quote.
A massive undersea volcanic eruption on Saturday just north of Tonga's main island triggered a tsunami that knocked out most communication with the country. It's being described as one of the largest eruptions in three decades and caused ripple effects halfway across the globe. While we wait for more news, many are asking what exactly happened to cause such a violent eruption. This region of the world has a ton of volcanoes, and they do erupt with some frequency. This volcano, the Hunga Tonga Hunga Haapai volcano, named for the two small uninhabited islands it consists of, has erupted regularly over the years, notably in 2009 and 2014-15, but neither were very significant in comparison to this past weekend. Quoting National Geographic, When it started erupting again on December 19th, 2021, it produced a series of blasts and an ash column 10 miles high. But it was doing nothing out of the ordinary for a submarine volcano, says Sam Mitchell, a volcanologist at the University of Bristol in the UK. For the next few weeks, enough fresh lava erupted to expand the island by nearly 50%, and as the new year dawned, the volcano appeared to be calming down. Then, in the last couple of days, things took a turn for the dramatic. As the volcano's explosivity began to intensify, the amount of lightning emerging from its ashy plume began to eclipse not only that seen during this eruption, but during any eruption ever recorded. End quote. In fact, the lightning was so intense that meteorologist Chris Vagaski says that there was nowhere else on the planet that was that electric that night. And quoting again, The presence of water always ups the odds of lightning, says Kathleen McKee, a volcano acoustic researcher at the Los Alamos National Lab in New Mexico. When magma mingles with a shallow body of water, the trapped water is aggressively heated and vaporized, blasting that magma into millions of tiny pieces. The more plentiful and the finer the particles you have, the more lightning you generate. The heat of the eruption also readily transports water vapor into the colder, higher reaches of the atmosphere, where it becomes ice, says Corrado Cimarelli, an experimental volcanologist at the Ludwig Maximilian University in Munich. That provides plenty of additional particles for the ash to collide with and generate electricity. End quote. As for the eruption that sent a shockwave around the world and caused the tsunami that has devastated many of the Tongan Islands, scientists are still determining what exactly caused that, and it'll be a while before we can get the data we need. For one, the ash column is blocking views and communication is still being restored to the islands, and the first priority will be helping the people of Tonga. But researchers at the University of Auckland think the scale of the most recent eruption has to do with a hidden caldera beneath the waves. Quoting them in the conversation, The caldera is a crater-like depression around 5 kilometers across. Small eruptions, such as in 2009 and 2014-15, occur mainly at the edge of the caldera, but very big ones come from the caldera itself. These big eruptions are so large the top of the erupting magma collapses inward, deepening the caldera. Looking at the chemistry of past eruptions, we now think these small eruptions represent the magma system slowly recharging itself to prepare for a big event. We found evidence of two huge past eruptions from the Hunga Caldera in deposits on the old islands. We matched these chemically to volcanic ash deposits on the largest inhabited island of Tongatapu, 65 kilometers away, and then used radiocarbon dates to show that big caldera eruptions occur about every 1,000 years, with the last one at AD 1100. 
With this knowledge, the eruption on January 15th seems to be right on schedule for a big one, end quote, which could hopefully mean that the big eruption over the weekend was the last of it and the people of Tonga will get a reprieve to start the long road to recovery. So the first full moon of the year will rise tonight, and this one is called the Full Wolf Moon. According to the Old Farmer's Almanac, the January full moon is referred to as the Wolf Moon because it was typically a time of year when you'd hear a lot of wolves howling, a form of communication for hunting and bonding. Now, whether it's true wolves or werewolves that you hear tonight may be up for debate, but if you go out sky-gazing at all this week while the full moon is out, you can also catch sight of nearby Pollux, the brightest star in the Gemini constellation, which will be on display about 13 degrees below the moon. But that is it from me for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotki.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.